funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious tonight. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5 flying high in both times. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know, hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like, that's, that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast. My name is Brandon Nunez. We are presented by the King's Herald. Got my guy Bryant West in here, as we always do. What is going on, Bryant? How you doing, man? It's full season of Zen mode here. Uh, we went from beating the Lakers, which is always the preference, to uh, losing a competitive game against the Portland Trailblazers, and uh, pretty enjoyable, if messy, two games of basketball. Not very soul crushing on either end, so. I'm doing just great. How about you? I'm doing good. I will say at the beginning here, if we sound a little different, uh, these are getting recorded from the phones today because we are doing this episode live on Locker Room, uh, which we're going to be doing a little bit more often. Um, it, it's kind of like a room you can hop into. There's currently only an Apple app. Sadly, they're developing Android. But, uh, you know, I, I like to have listeners come on that episodes. So I've done that taking Pulse and um, sort of – segment or theme of episode and and this gives you an opportunity to kind of you know hop in the room and there's a there's an area to chat and you can also request to speak and then bring you on here and uh anybody listening that would be interested and get your questions out there and um yeah interact with us a little bit so if we sound a little bit different that is why and definitely stay on the lookout for these locker room recordings to um kind of be a part of these episodes but yes we're gonna Starts with talking a little bit about these Lakers-Portland games, I guess, but the meat of the episode is going to be talking about uh, some of the guys in the upcoming draft for Sacramento outside of the top five because the top five is pretty set. Um, But yeah, quick hitters. We're recording this right after the Portland game that was a very messy ending. I got to say, you know, I, I guess it makes sense, but that call of like Fox throwing it off the rim and then them giving possession to Cantor after the whistle, it makes sense, but I really didn't know how that was going to go. Yeah, that's one of those, uh, you know, even basketball uh, fans who've watched a 100 NBA games can't honestly guess how the heck that one's going to go. I kind of thought that since the Kings were clearly going to foul Cantor before the whistle blew, to say it was a dead ball, I thought they might just say it was a jump ball or something. But, um, you know, it, the Kings had plenty of chances. They, they, the, the end play there did not was not the reason they lost this game. So totally, um, yeah, Damian Lillard and you know uh, Portland are going to run a crazy amount of pick and roll, and 
It seemed like there was always one of Marvin Bagley or Nemanja Bialica on the floor to be the big man in that pick and roll. And uh, Damian was totally able to tear them apart uh, during the times that he was out there. And, yeah, I mean, the story of the game again is is defense in this one for Sacramento. You know, giving up 123 points, um, obviously far from ideal. And, you know, when it was close down the stretch, I – Saw plenty of tweets saying that they were just kind of lining everything up for Dame time, and sure enough, I, th- I want to say he scored ten points in a row, if not more than that, for Portland down the stretch. Yeah, I think so. It was really impressive that uh, Dame time lined up perfectly with Kang's time. It was a perfect storm <laughs> there for a bit, but it was nice to see De'Aaron Fox catch a little bit of that Dame time and uh, hit that three that kind of brought them back uh, into respectability. So. Um, given how messy the Kings' last couple of two minutes was, it would have been totally Kings-like to just give up at that point once you see Damian Lillard just go full MVP mode. Uh, but they didn't, and uh, I think, you know, final score shows it was a competitive game all the way down to the end, which I think it was. So, Yeah, um, you know, I feel like Buddy Heald has kind of – I don't know if return to form is the right word, but at times he disappeared throughout this year, which I felt like was never really the case for him that much in previous years. Um, and tonight against the Blazers, he had 21 points, 5 of 12 from deep. The night before against the Lakers, he had 29, 7 11 from three. Uh, night before that, or the game before that against Charlotte, uh, which maybe we want to forget about that game, but he had 30 points and 8 of 15 from three. 15 attempts from three is insane, but I guess that's just Buddy healed things. Yeah, it's good to see Buddy kind of bouncing back because uh, Lord knows this team is better when he's making shots, and uh, Lord knows it's easier to easier for Monty McNair to go out there and find some buyers when uh, he can just show tape of the last few games and be like, look, Buddy healed can still hit shots. Buddy Hill can still show up to big games. Definitely, yeah. Up in that trade value is definitely how I'm viewing it as well. Um, also, I, I guess a quick mention here before we kind of just dive into the draft stuff. Uh, Shams tweeted something today or, or put out an article on The Athletic talking about a bunch of different trade rumors and what he's hearing throughout the league. And Nemanja Bialica was mentioned and linked to the Boston Celtics, which we already kind of knew along with the Philadelphia 76ers, Miami Heat, and Golden State Warriors, oh, and Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Yeah, I I think teams that make sense, and, you know, I I think at some point in the future we'll have an episode that maybe dives into examples of those potential trades, but um, definitely just some news to get out there for anyone that hadn't seen it yet. There's an article on Kings Herald talking about that a little bit. Um, But do you have anything else you want to touch on before we kind of just dive into what we had planned for this one with uh, some draft talk? Well, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if this is the same team that returns to play in Sacramento in a week and a half once the All-Star break is over. Um, you know, the trade deadline's not right now. It's still in a couple of weeks, but this is a, a real chance for, I think, general managers to actually have conversations. And uh, It'll be interesting to see if the same Kings team returns. Definitely, definitely. Um, and... Yeah, I, I'm going to use the break personally as a chance to catch up on a little bit of my draft guys, uh, going a little bit deeper down my board, because I think we all know 
at least it seems pretty clear that there is a kind of set top five. Um, and I guess some people have somewhat of different orders, um, but roughly, and I guess this is outing my order, is, you know, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kuminga, Jalen Suggs. Um, I think that's pretty known, and we've talked about those guys a good bit. And yep. the plan for this one is to kind of go into the guys a little bit after that, where, you know, Sacramento has a good chance to land. Yeah, you know, we're still 36 games away from the end of the regular season, and uh, Kings have shown us that anything can pretty much happen on a game-to-game basis. Uh, so while it's fun to daydream about getting one of those top picks and adding one of those top five guys, uh, I agree with you, by the way. That's the same order my draft board is sitting right now. Uh, the lottery reality looms large, and unless Monty McNair makes some moves, uh, we shouldn't be surprised if the Kings are sitting in that 6 to 12 range. Um, and while we admit the true talent in this class is in the top five, uh, kind of fortunately for Sacramento, the current consensus draft range of 6 through 12s is all wings and forwards. Um, our good buddy Brett Huff, who you shall go follow on Twitter, at Brett, Brett Huff 22 uh, he does an excellent job compiling consensus rankings from both draft experts and armchair scouts. And uh, he ran a composite ranking last week, and it shows a clear tier break between those top five prospects you named and the rest of the class. Uh, but what's nice and something he pointed out to me was that everybody in that 6 to 12 range can be considered a wing or a forward, uh, which is definitely Sacramento's biggest need. I think we'd both agree with that going forward. Um and, you know, before we dive into the actual meat of this episode, you know, it's important to say that things will change. Guys will emerge. Somebody that we don't talk about in this conversation will come into consideration uh, once you and I catch up on more tape. But I think this group we're going to talk about here is a good representation of this mid-lottery range. Um, and it's also pretty important to note that this year, more than pretty much any year, uh, it's harder than normal to consider guys just on the merits of their skills. Um I mean, I don't have to say that the pandemic has changed pretty much everything in college basketball, but it has certainly impacted some guys a little harder. Um, for example, you mind if I just dive right in? Yeah, no, go right ahead. Yeah. Um, well, then let's start with Zaire, Zaire Williams. Then. Um, Zaire Williams, forward out of Stanford, 6'8", uh, only 185 pounds. He's just a stick of a dude. Um, really young player really highly touted out of high school. And, I mean, you can just see it when he's on the court. He's he's a very skilled player, but if you just look at the stats, it's just dreadful season. And that's just because he's the king of COVID contacts this season. Um, that Stanford team couldn't play any contests at Stanford because of Santa Clara County restrictions on contact sports. So they spent the year playing all of their home games in Santa Cruz traveling to road games and otherwise fully living in hotels. Uh, this, of course, impacted pretty much every aspect of their program, but the biggest was probably the lack of an actual weight training program, uh, which if you take one look at Zaire Williams, you'd get is pretty damn important. Uh, his biggest weakness is a lack of strength um, that may extend to a lack of physicality. I don't really know because he's just so skinny that he just gets pushed over by pretty much everything. Um, and that lack of strength translates to every part of his game, including his shooting ability. Um, so far this season, he's shooting just 37% from the field and 29% from deep. But those mechanics are tantalizing. His form looks great. Uh, and he's hitting 80% of his free throw shots. So there's upside there. Um, he just he, he runs the floor well. He sees the floor well. 3.2 assists for 40 minutes. 
And when he's not getting blown up by contact, I mean, he could really get up and down the court in a hurry. Um, so he's clearly a skilled basketball player who is limited by his physique. And even in his worst games, you can see a developmental skill set there, baseline skill set. Um, you know, if Sacramento's sitting in that six to twelve range, are they a team that wants to gamble on a on their developmental program next year? Could they handle a highly drafted rookie who's not really contributing immediately? Because if so, I would love to see Rico Hines and the Kings training staff get to work with Zaire. Um, to me, I think he's still the highest ceiling dude of any of the guys we we're going to be talking about. But you know, it's a lot like Pokushevsky from last year. It's gambling big time on your developmental staff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. It's the highest ceiling guy. Um, but as I, you know, watch more and more, like it, it's getting difficult for me to kind of leave him at this sixth spot, which is where I have him right now. I think somebody tweeted us the other day, you know, outside of the top five, who would you take for Sacramento? And you and I both agreed right now it's Zaire. Um, but I think that's definitely obviously going to be a really developing conversation as the year goes on. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, the physical tools, um, space creation is very interesting. I, I think defensive versatility and really like a want and effort level on the defensive end is really appealing. Um, he obviously fits that, you know, a lot of these guys, I, I guess, can be classified as wings. I, I do think two of the guys that are, are maybe listed as wings, I might put as guards um, that we'll get to. But Zaire is very much a classic wing forward that you would want um, long-term alongside Fox Halliburton, you know, 6'8". Impressive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, build-wise, he totally is fitting what you want. You maybe would want more on-ball defense. Um, like, I think part of the issue that maybe you run into with, like, a Jalen Green is having three more slender guys of, okay, who's going to take the on-ball assignment um, if it comes to a wing player, a wing initiator. But, you know, it, it's a problem that you would work out down the line. I mean, I'm with you. This is kind of the upside swing you would take. And, um, yeah, I do think it makes sense for Sacramento, but there's going to be some rough stretches. I, I don't know, like, how – because you mentioned the Poku thing, and I see where you're coming from, but I, I feel like – Zaire, I don't know, actually. Is he going to be a higher impact than Poku right now? Because Poku is really, really rough. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know either. Um, I, I think he's definitely be that upside play, and it would be surprising to me if the guy with – because even his, in his roughest games, like I went and watched the USC game from literally last night where he had like two points – two rebounds, four turnovers. And in that game, he's just moving really well. And yeah. his and it, it, in in the context of that, it's like you can see where this guy's coming from, but he's just so skinny. Everything about his game is just impacted by how skinny he is. Um, and I think it's kind of important to circle back on this. Every guy we're going to be talking about in this range offers something that the Kings really could need. Like the Kings could really use a stretchy, springy, small forward who can run up and down the court and hopefully become a good shooter. But every single guy that we're going to talk about also has a clear defining weakness that is something that the Kings really don't need any more of. Um, and if Zaire Williams is a developmental prospect, I mean, the Kings really can't stomach if they want to think that, all right, this is the last year we got to rebuild 
next year's the year that we just we're going to start really going for it. I mean, Zaire Williams might not be the smartest pick in that instant. He might be the highest ceiling guy, like we said, but he is pretty dang raw. Yeah, and raw on a physicality way. Like if you threw twenty pounds on this dude and he'd been like working in a normal collegiate program all year, I really, really doubt that his numbers would be this bad. He's just it it I feel bad falling into the trap of his numbers lie, but I feel like his numbers do lie. Yeah, no, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Um, and, and I think that part of that conversation of, you know, if Sacramento wants to go for it all next year, this isn't the guy you kind of take is an angle I wanted to focus on a little bit this episode. Like, where do you stand with that? Do you think that, you know, they're in a position where they should take this, you know, boomer bust kind of candidate? Or would you go a direction a little bit safer? You know, that's going to be the defining question from here on to draft day. And I'm sure my answer will change a dozen times. Um, watching a team be competitive the last two games against the Lakers and the Blazers, even though I sit here saying that I think the Kings are going to be a bottom six team by the end of the season. Uh, it, it, I, I'm always just going to gravitate towards the upside play. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, it, it's a very complex conversation that, uh, I'm sh- like I said, I'm sure the answer will change multiple times before draft day. Because a lot yeah. of the guys that we're going to talk about are probably more ready even if they don't, even if they have their own questions that they need to answer. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where I stand on this. I told myself I was going to have an answer coming into this, and I really don't know. Um, there's a pool of guys that I would consider, and right now I'm probably still taking Zaire if you're sitting there at six and, you know, the typical top five is gone. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, not going to be – majorly impactful next season. Um, But I think that, you know, if if you're talking about like, what, what is the risk? Like it's really keeping Fox happy, right? That your risk that you worry about is Fox being discontent and asking out. And I think that if Fox sees the potential in this team, which, you know, right now is mainly just Halliburton alongside him, but sees another potential piece and sees the flashes um, that, you know, that could be enough for him. So like, I don't know. I I don't think it's, I I don't mind an upside swing for sure. Um, And maybe we'll go a little bit of a different direction with a floor guy right now, a little bit more of a high floor guy um, for this next conversation. You have anything else you want to touch on with Zaire before I move on? Nope. Yeah, the next guy, um, and this definitely is not in order here, um, just to kind of switch between high ceiling, high floor guys, is I'm going I'm to touch on Moses Moody here, um, who I think you and I are both pretty interested in. He's a freshman at Arkansas right now in 6'6 with a 6'11 wingspan. Um, he is touted as a very 3 and D player. Um, there is potential off the dribble shooting, but just to kind of go through some of his basic numbers, 25 games at Arkansas, about 32 minutes a game. Uh, he's averaging 17 points, just under six rebounds, 1.8 assists, a, a just a tad over one steal on 43% from the field, 37% from three, and 82% from the free throw line. 
and that 37% from deep is on about five attempts a game. Um, I do really enjoy Moses Moody, and I don't know if I mentioned his height. I think I did already, 6'6", six, 6'11". Six, six, um, so, you know, ideally you'd like someone a little bit bigger, like you'd like a Zaire 6'8", sort of size, but I think you can totally make this work. Um, but, yes, I mean, there is questions about his off-the-dribble creation of any sort that would limit that upside um, for being touted as such a 3-and-D player. The three-point shot hasn't looked phenomenal at times throughout this year. Um, and the defense primarily, again, is a lot of really off-ball feel. I, I think he's very capable on-ball, obviously, with this 6'11 wingspan. Um, but, yes, he's a very smart intelligent off-ball defender um, that which you know is going to translate pretty quickly along with this three-point shot. I mean, pretty similar to how you're seeing Tyrese Halliburton contribute in his first year in the league. Yeah. Um, to reiterate, Moody is 6'6", but uh, they keep saying he's got a 7'1 wingspan, which is just incredible. And uh, he's one of the youngest in fact, I think he is the youngest guy that we're going to talk about in this conversation. He will be nine, just over 19 years old on draft day. Um, to me, he might be the best combination of floor and ceiling in this range. Um, I don't know that he'll ever be a star, but he's young enough where you can't say massive skill growth is out of the question. Um, and like you talked about with Halliburton there, we, you and I were truly doubting Halliburton's uh, off-the-dribble creation ability. And, uh, you know, it's not, a, it's not out of the question that somebody this young who clearly is getting better and better can't have that kind of skill growth. Um, I was worried for a bit there when Moody's numbers, especially his three-point shooting, dipped to start conference play. But he's been in double figures in all of their eight last games. Uh, and most importantly, he's always impacting the game, even when his shot's not falling. Um, against Alabama, he shot three of 12 from the field, but still ended up with 24 points, five rebounds, and four assists because he just got to the line. He got to the line 19 times and made 16 of them. Um, you know, you talked about how he's shooting 82% from the line, but he gets there almost six times a game, which for a uh, shooting guard small forward is just pretty incredible. And uh, his defense is excellent. He's not the most... Um, fluid, explosive guy. So I'm sure that there's going to be some people out there that question, you know, is he really going to be a primary defender at the next level? But I just, I trust his instincts. He's a really dedicated defender. He's a physical player. I think he gives the Kings a lot of what they need. Um, I think in a vacuum, he's my pick of the dudes we're going to talk about today. I think I might take him over Zaire Williams. Um, I really believe in his shooting upside, He's a physical defender, and most importantly, shooting 83% from the free throw line, which I think would lead the Kings at this point. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think at the point of the draft um, last year for Halliburton, which there's obviously been a lot of developments since, I definitely would, you know, if I was projecting upside of off the dribble shooting, I would definitely lean towards Moody. Um, but obviously Halliburton has, you know, a good playmaking advantage there. Like, I, I think that they – are very good complementary players that both have um, a little bit of an unexpected potential untapped ceiling to them, um, especially, you know, development we've seen from Halliburton. Um, I, I definitely would have trouble bucking back on Moody over Zaire. I think those are probably the two I jump between at this current point. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love what Moody brings. Do you worry about his size at all at 6'6", or is that fine to you? Because the wingspan on top of it as well. 6'6 is about as small as I would consider a dude if you're talking about traditional small forward. Um, and given that he's a physical player and that he's got the ex- extraordinarily long wingspan and knows how to use it, uh, I trust that he can handle the small forward spot at the NBA level. Yeah. Um, it probably does come with – I mean, any of the conversations we'll be talking about, does it make sense for the Kings to draft a guard in the future um, – in, in a future podcast, um, you know, that does re- include having to do some roster construction. Kings probably have to have much better defenders at the forward and center spot um, to make sure that they can cover up for a otherwise somewhat small uh, guard rotation. Um, but, Definitely. you know, that's a thing the Kings already need. <laughs> so I don't worry about Moses Moody if he's the pick at eight or, you know, in this range. Uh, I think he fits extremely well with this Kings team. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I, I do think that, uh, yeah, like you said, that'll, that'll be a conversation we have in the future. I do really want to dive into, you know, potential. What does a three-guard lineup mean? Is that possibly successful? Um, what would need to happen around the roster um, for that to be successful? Really dive into that in a future episode, especially with Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs sitting at the top there. Um, Moody, I guess, somewhat fitting that, um, but definitely more of a, a wing player there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I really like the fit potentially there. We have Kaylin Kirschner in the chat saying, give me all the Moses Moody as well. I'm sure she's far from the only Moody fan. I think it's the Moody Mafia, right? Is, is the terminology. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I am uh, definitely on board and, uh, gonna be really intrigued with Moody. I think he's somebody that, if Sacramento is sitting out of that top five, uh, I am personally going to be strongly considering. Um, and, yeah, definitely going to be diving into everybody. I recommend watching a lot of these upcoming Arkansas games to really get a feel for him. And, uh, yeah, as a potential guy that goes to Sacramento, is there a certain one that you want to jump to next year? I'm going to talk about the dude I struggle the most with because – if you built a basketball player in a laboratory to test my draft preferences, you couldn't come up with a more complex dude than Scotty Barnes. Um, to me, he's the ultimate upside-downside guy in this conversation because both his positives and his negatives are so clear from both the film and the numbers. Uh, he fits a lot of the big needs the Kings have, and he already has a bunch of weaknesses that the Kings already have. So. Uh, let's do the upside first. The dude is a 6'9 tank. Um, I should probably give his overview. He's a forward for Florida State, uh, 6'9, 227 pounds, 7'2 wingspan. He'll be just under 20 years old at the end of the draft. Um, and uh, boy, he can just float on the perimeter on defense with guards, and he can handle his business down low with bigs. He has legitimate upside to switch and handle anyone from twos to fives at the NBA level. And unlike pretty much every king, he plays defense with pride. Uh, he goes for the ball, 2.4 steals per 40 minutes. Uh, but also for a guy who plays with such intensity, it surprised me to see that he has yet to foul out of a game this season. Um, given how wow. hard he plays every moment on defense, I really thought he would be a dude who struggles to foul out. And I wouldn't be surprised if 
wherever he goes in the NBA, he really struggles with that for a couple of years. But, I mean, he's a freaking titan on the defensive end of the court. And given his intensity, if the Kings drafted him, he could be a real culture setter. Um, he's also been playing as a jumbo initiator for Florida State this year, pretty much their point guard, uh, averaging 7.3 assists per 40 minutes. That's no freaking joke. Um, a 2.2 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. Uh, he played with Kate Cunningham and Moses Moody at Montverde Academy. Clearly, they all learned something from each other. Uh, Barnes has great vision and is more than a willing passer. Um, Synergy notes that when you consider both his individual points and assists in the half court, his points per possession generated would rank in the 91st percentile across all collegiate players. Uh, so that all sounds great, right? Well, the problem is, is that I don't really know what he gives you on offense outside of playmaking. Because if you just look at his own half-court scoring ability, Synergy has him in the 30th percentile, and he's shooting just 38% in the half-court. Um, he doesn't have any shooting consistency. He's hitting just 26% from deep, 28% on catch-and-shoot shots. Uh, he's not a dynamic rim-running dude yet. His numbers at the basket in the half-court are middling average. Uh, he can run the pick-and-roll as the ball handler pretty well, but Again, if he's the initiator, I have no idea how long. It's going to take some team a long time to transition him from the full initiator role he's doing at Florida State to a tertiary or even secondary kind of dude. So I don't know what his offense is going to look like until he gets used to that. And uh, Kings already can't really handle any more questionable fits. So he's going to be worth considering from here to draft day, but he is as complex a basketball puzzle as anybody we're going to talk about. Totally. And you mentioned, you know, this being the ultimate test of your favorite type of player. And You and I are very similar in the guys we like. Um, so I'm definitely with you there. And this is Will Griffith's guy, by the way. Um, definitely yeah. really vocal about that. Um, and yeah, I mean, does everything on the defensive end of the floor. Like, I don't know what else you could want there. And um, I've really, you know, enjoyed watching him recently. And I didn't realize exactly, like, I knew he played with high energy, but, like, very first play of the game, I, I think in a recent one I watched, like, he just makes a little layup, and he flexes and screams. And I'm like, wow, okay, I guess that's what we're doing this game. And that's just every single game, uh, clapping in people's faces. And, yeah, like you're saying, a culture center, which I think would be very big for Sacramento. You know, Tyrese Halliburton is a start of that as well. Um, yes, and... There's not much else to say on the defensive end. Um, I, I think as you, uh, Welly explained, he's a super promising prospect on that end. Like you said, two to five, probably, uh, I guess, outside of Mobley, um, best defender in this class, right? Um, I would say and, so. At yeah, least in but the, it's in the top of this conversation. Right. Um, the offensive end of the floor, like you said, the playmaking is the intriguing part of him because there's not really any shooting. Um, to me, where – and, you know, like if we wanted to have the bigger Isaac Okoro comp, where that gets misstrewed for me is that, like, Okoro, to me, could do everything well on the offensive end of the floor except shoot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think Barnes obviously has more size to him um, and more defensive potential because of that. But, yeah, Okoro could do Absolutely everything but shoot. Okoro was a phenomenal finisher, um, had a great first step, a good handle to him. So to me, Barnes, while he's playing this point forward, point guard of sorts, 
I think that he could be most ideal as a role man and then using that playmaking in a short role situation. And it just sucks yeah. that you aren't seeing that at all in Florida State. Um, yeah, Florida which, State's using him in a role that he's just not going to get at the NBA level. Right, which is where this gets difficult um, because if you have an absolute negative on the offensive end of the floor, um, like, I mean, is there any scenario where you're playing Scotty Barnes, Marvin Bagley, and Rashawn Holmes? Like, I, I think that's horrible on offense, right? And it's not yeah. good enough on defense to make up for it. Yeah, you got to have a ton of shooting around that core to make it work. Right. Um, and I just – I don't know that even Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox have, have that going. Right. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, that, that's about all I have on Barnes. I, I think he's going to be really interesting to keep track on. Um, a pure defensive prospect that is seriously going to be a defensive player that Sacramento has desperately needed for years on years and is going to need when you're going up against the likes of LeBron James, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard on you know a, a nightly, weekly basis, I guess, in, in this ridiculous Pacific conference. Um, and, yeah, if you want to be a top player, you got to be able to stop these ridiculous wings. Um, and I think Scotty Barnes totally has that prototype. It's just going to be about being a positive contributor on the offensive end of the floor. Um, and yeah, maybe there's something there. You know, there's a little bit of things to work with with the playmaking. And, uh, you know, I, I don't feel great about the three point shot right, in, right now, but you totally see players be non factors on that coming into the league and, and develop that with time to at least be respectable. Um, but yeah. I think Barnes is definitely going to be interesting and yeah, I mean, going to be a part of this conversation as well. Um, someone asked us in the chat here and I think we can transition to this guy next if we like Moody more than uh, James Booknight. So I think we can talk about Booknight a little bit here as well, as long as you're cool moving on from Barnes. Yeah, sounds good. Um, also an underrated aspect of Scotty Barnes is that if he's willing to wear number 40, we get a very seamless transition from one Barnes to the next. <laughs> um, so James Booknight is one of the guys when I was talking about, you know, or you mentioned, you know, Brett kind of has all these guys listed as wings forwards. I kind of see Booknight as a guard. Um, I, I Booknight is six five. He's a sophomore at UConn who really came into his own and, and blew up this season. I don't see a listed wingspan for him, but he's a pure scoring two guard. Um, in this year at UConn, which he's been injured recently and should be returning soon, from my understanding, 11 games played. He's back. He is. He's back, back now. He's been back. Okay. Yeah, he's been back the last couple of games, and good, good for them because they were, they're nine and two with him, and four and four without him, and they can't really lose any more games if they want to make the tournament. So, got he it. really makes this yeah. game work. Yeah, uh, numbers I got for him here: 20 points. Um, I have 5.8 rebounds, well, only 1.5 assists for a pretty high usage guy, 1.4 steals as well on 45% from the field, 30% from three on 4.8 attempts, and 80% from the free throw line. And I do want to say on that um, 40% or that 30% from three, um, he is getting up some of these threes. I know it's only 4.8 a game, but he has a game with 12 attempts from deep. He has two games with eight attempts, one with nine, one with seven. Um, super confident in that jumper. So while the three-point percentage doesn't sound great, like I feel fine about 
the at least the confidence in the jumper and and the potential for that to be respectable there. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's an absolute pure scorer. Like I mean, the issue for me is that it's this really high usage guy getting 1.5 assists and not exactly like a wing big enough kind of defender there. Yeah, yeah I agree with a lot of that. Um, I he's a really high usage scorer, like you said, um, 25 and. 7.3 assists in 40 minutes. Uh, he's crafty handler, really strong step back, ball is on a string type creator. Um, and I mean, stupidly athletic. Go look up his dunk against Providence if you want to see a man fly. Um, I agree with you that it's a concern that a dude with nearly a 33% usage rate has only 1.8 assists per 40 minutes and a, it's a really painful 0.5 assist to turnover ratio. So clearly the biggest growth part of his game going forward is he's got to be a better playmaker. Um, I know our buddy Kenny Carraway uh, over at uh, D-Lone KC is a really big fan of uh, Book Knight, and, and I can see why, because there's no question that Sacramento really needs more shot creators. Um, I agree with you that he's a little small for what I think this team really needs, which is somebody who can create at the at a, at a small forward spot. Um, and I think he, he think he's a pretty active defender. And you don't really play at UConn if you're not a determined defender. Uh, he, he's a good help defender. He's always digging. Um, but the downside to me is his actual questionable efficiency from deep. Um, like Like you said, it's great to see that he's taking the shots. Uh, so it's clearly a point of emphasis for for score first game is taking those three, um, but he's just fifth percentile on catch and shoot shots, and wow. if he's going to learn to play with the Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, I mean that's going to be a much bigger part of his game. Um, so maybe that's an easy fix once he just gets used to not being the main on ball guy. Um, but to me, that's where this question comes in, like. I'm not so worried about any of these other dudes settling in with De'Aaron Fox and Tyrus Halliburton somewhat. Um, James Booknight is a great scorer, but he doesn't, does he make up enough on defense in a closing lineup to the point where it's worth worrying about the offensive hit? I don't know. He definitely absolutely belongs in this conversation. Um, and if you think that he's the clear dude the Kings should take outside of this top six, I can't really argue because when he's going, I mean, just go watch his game against Creighton. He was just stupidly good that game. Uh, really crafty scorer. And, but uh, I don't know. I, I would rather take Moses Moody just for the two-way impact and because I trust Moody a lot more as a deep shooter. Uh, but I understand the argument. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um I understand Book Knight. Anybody that, you know, sits Book Knight as six. Um, it's very Zach Levine esque to me. And Levine obviously mm-hmm. took like a very big jump in his three point shooting. Um, but he he very much reminds me of a Zach Levine. Um and yeah, I don't personally like the fit of Book Knight very much. Um I think he's a good enough talent that um you know maybe there is an argument you take him and make it work and and I could get behind that 
Um, but personally, it's not the direction I would go for a guy that I don't know how he functions off the ball. And it's not that you need a guy that only is working off the ball, um, but this is, like you're saying, a player that is really only working on the ball at the current point. Yeah. Uh, and that's just not really going to happen on this Sacramento roster. Um, and, yeah, also not the ideal fit um, defensively on, on this lineup. You know, you want a little bit of a bigger wing or at least a more seamless offensive fit if he's not going to be uh, kind of the ideal size for a defensive role there. So, yeah, it's early, but I think outside of the guys we talked about, I probably have Book Knight last when it comes to uh, my Kings board. Yeah, it, I, I'm not going to really hate on that take either. Um, like I said, this is going to be more so than any other year, just really about what you think the King's biggest need going forward is. Is it another shot creator? Then you probably want Book Knight. Is it another shooter? Then you probably want Moody. Is it a defender? Then you probably want Scotty Barnes. So it's very complex. Yeah. And, and real quick, uh, we did an episode, you know, fully profiling him and we'll probably go a little bit deeper, obviously, at some point. Um, but Jalen Johnson belongs in the conversation as well. And like yeah. I said, we, we've, dip, we've dove into him before, but uh, just kind of as a wing jumpo initiator that has off ball defensive instincts, um, but some of his own offensive questions when it comes to half court creation, uh, definitely belongs in this conversation as well. And if it's that size of a wing that you're really looking for. Yeah. Um, I think we should move to, uh, one of your favorite new prospects. Uh, you want to tell the audience why you're such a big fan of uh, Franz Wagner from Michigan? Yes. Um, well, first of all, Jake Rosen did an absolutely phenomenal piece that I retweeted the other day. He's one of the prepped pro guys now, um, breaking down Wagner. And I think that, like, when I was watching him, and he, okay, so he's 6'9", uh, playing in Michigan. I guess I should get the basics out here first. Um and, uh, yeah, there is no listed wingspan, but like I said, sophomore at Michigan, only 12.8 points right now, 6.4 rebounds, 2.9 okay. assists, um, but definitely a stocks guy um, with 1.4 steals, 1.1 block on 51% from the field, 36% from three, and 84% from the free throw line. I think the main thing is that he's just such a high IQ player. Um, and having this phenomenal size paired with that, um, and, and size in regards to height, he's not like the strongest guy out there or anything like that, um, it is really appealing. He's got a promising touch around the rim. You know, he's shooting 59% on two-point attempts, 61% in his freshman year. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just making all the right defensive rotations. To me, when I look at Wagner, it's like, okay, if you had a three-guard lineup, this is the exact four that you want. A guy that just does the right things, that's not too much on the offensive end of the floor. Like in a pinch, you can have him run a pick and roll, sort of Harrison Barnes-esque. Um, but a lot of his impact is going to come from making the right play on defense, you know, being an impactful playmaker on that end, impacting shots at the rim, digging at the right times. I think he's going to relocate properly on offense, make good cuts. Um, he's just a really smart, well-rounded player that that has promising size to him. Um, I, I don't know that I feel great about the upside where um, I would consider him over some of these other guys that we're talking about. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he does deserve to be in this conversation to be mentioned for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, a super high IQ guy with, with very good size paired with it. Yeah, to me, he's the exact kind of guy I would love to see the Kings snag another later pick and select because he pretty much would fit with any of the dudes we've already talked about. Um, honestly, my only concern is that if you're going to ask him to play the power forward spot, is he a good enough rebounder to help the Kings, who are, like, I think 28th in the league in rebounds right now? Um, is he a good enough rebounder to help us out? Uh He's getting like 8.3 per 40, which is good. And he does play with a really good rebounding team. Um, but is he going to be big enough to really be a game-changing power forward? Or is he more uh, a rangy small forward who would then be a solid rebounder for his position? I don't know. Um, but like you said, he's a clearly a high IQ dude. Uh, really makes great defensive impacts. Uh, really just has a great overall game for such a low usage rate. Um, so, and he's totally going to be a dude who's going to go deep into March. Michigan's a good team. So, uh, if anybody hasn't checked out his game yet, uh, you'll have plenty of chances to. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm really hoping while I, while I am considering this like high floor, low ceiling, um, or floor versus ceiling conversation, I don't want a guy that, and you know, um, Jake's piece really kind of talks people out of a low ceiling idea for Wagner, but I, I'm having trouble shaking it. Um, where, you know, like Moody, I, I buy the upside a little bit more. Um, I mean, ideally to me, the reason that I feel like this is the year that you're really looking for a, another top draft prospect before you, you know, turn a corner and are really trying to become a consistent winning franchise is this is when you're trying to get one more game changer. Yeah. And I don't know that I classify Wagner as that. Yeah. To me, he's the, the piece of a otherwise complete team. Like I would love to get him and Zaire Williams. Like to me, that would be an amazing, amazing fit with what the Kings already have. Um, but is he going to, if I think the Kings are sitting at eight and it's Moses Moody or Franz Wagner, I think I'm probably going to take Moody and not think twice about it. So, yeah, I'm with you. And I think, you know, um, impression I get right now is Wagner's probably like a late lottery guy. Um, yeah, I'm going to, uh, do you dirty a little bit here and force you to talk about a Gonzaga guy. <laughs> um, well, let, it, it, I, of course, we have to talk about the most unfair, godly squad in recent college memory. Um, you know, it's it's painful for me as a uh, alumni of the great St. Mary's College uh, to say this, but uh, I have just fully accepted that uh, Gonzaga is going to win the title this year. Um, I don't know that I'll have Corey Kispert over any of the news we've discussed today when it's all said and done. Um, but he's just stupid broken this year, and, and he's a real big part of why this team can do what it does. Uh, averaging 19.5 points and five rebounds on 55% from the field and 46% from deep, with nearly three made threes a game. That's just stupid. Yeah, let's um, just say I could get Patty. 56% yeah. from the field and 46% from three. For a while, there was a conversation yeah. of like a 60, 50, 90. I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's shooting. 
88.9% from the free throw line too. So, um, you know, I could be petty and say that his numbers are so stinking good because he's open all the time. Um, playing with an amazing team really does get him open. Like nearly half of his catch and shoot shots are unguarded. Um, but that would be disingenuous and undersell just how stupid good a movement shooter he is. Um, you know, I, 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 he's a high IQ player. He makes the right reads. You don't last in Gonzaga for four years without learning how to be a multi-versatile player. Um, it's not fair to say I think he's going to be a bad defender at the next level because uh, you don't stay at Gonzaga if you're not a smart team-positive defender. And he's six seven, has plenty of bulk, but he's not the most fleet of foot. Um, he does get beaten by college guys, and I do really worry that teams will do matchup hunting against him. Um, to me, I think he's the best argument for the true high floor of the guys we've mentioned. Uh, he's 22. We know he is. He's a guaranteed knockdown shooter at the next level. Um, but in my opinion, the average outcome for Moses Moody is going to be better than the average outcome for Corey Kispert. Uh, I think the Kings would be better off with a decent outcome from Zaire Williams or Scotty Barnes. So I respect Kispert mm-hmm. for what he's doing, and it's going to suck when he and uh, Jalen Suggs are holding the trophy out this year. Uh, but, you know, I think he is at the bottom of this conversation to me. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think this is a pick of um, a team that ends up, you know, late lottery, but clearly is already on an upward trajectory. Um, maybe something like New Orleans or Memphis, something in that sort of range. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's not exactly. Yeah, not exactly where I would go for Sacramento. Um, I'm with you there. Who else do you want to touch on? Uh, I think I've gone through most of my guys. I have Jaden Springer on my list. Um, you know, Jaden Springer is going to be the really interesting conversation. A lot like James Booknight, is he a guard? Um, I know our buddy PD really sells the idea of Jaden Springer being the perfect third guard in the three-guard lineup. Um, But I think we can dive into him more when we get into the how can Sacramento construct a roster to really handle a three-guard lineup. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't don't feel great about my knowledge on Springer right now either, I will say. Um, And and two other guys, or I'll say Keon Johnson belongs in this conversation – um, Brett's consensus board has him sitting there at eight and he's the other guy that I, I clearly need to dive into more, but, uh, sitting there at six, five and, and he's a freshman from Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I'm going to be curious to dive into him. Does he qualify more as a guard in my mind or does he fit this wing sort of role? Um, I, he definitely that, plays, I, there were a lot of comparisons to Isaac Okoro. Um, Interesting. It's 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 hilarious to me that there's already so many dudes that are getting Isaac Okoro comps. <laughs> um, but I mean, Keon Johnson's a little bit smaller and uh, just as much a nuclear athlete. Good lord! Um, but if he's a guard, I mean, good lord, he you can't shoot twenty six point eight percent of threes and be a guard. Jeez. So yeah. Yeah, and and unfortunately he's not built like a Coral where he's a freaking Mack truck. He's only like 186 pounds. So I definitely think he's a guard, um, and he he might deserve to be in the conversation in terms of just 
best player available if you really think that, well, here's a good dude who clearly knows what he's doing on defense. Um, he's getting better at attacking the rim, and he's probably the best athlete of anybody we've talked about today. Um, but, like, he doesn't have the scoring punch of James Booknight, and Booknight's nearly as athletic as him. Um, he doesn't, he's got the defense of Moses Moody, but he doesn't have his shooting. Uh, he doesn't have the all around game of Wagner. So it's, he's going to be the most complex fit if you try to justify it to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely have to dive into him more. And then I, I think the two Texas guys have gotten a lot of hype as well. Kai Jones and Greg Brown. I know, like, Kevin Fippen's a big Greg Brown guy, or at least was hyping him up going into the year. Um, yeah, but I, I think those are kind of the guys that are on my radar right now. And I guess other names that I also want to get into, maybe I just have one, is this Usman Garuba, um, who, you know, I mean, you know, we talk about loving defensive prospects. I mean, he definitely fits that mold. But I think if you're talking, you know, more of a five to eight range, he's probably not in the conversation at all. Uh, but if you end up a little bit later in the lottery, maybe he is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that – most of the guys that we touched on are probably the ones that would be in consideration at this point in that five to 10 ish range um, for Sacramento. And obviously hopefully they end up with one of those top five selections. But as of tonight, after that loss against the Portland Trailblazers, Sacramento is sitting there at five. Um, So yeah, you never know which way that the lottery walls are going to end up. And uh, there's a good chance that Sacramento is making a decision between these guys that, it's definitely going to be interesting because I think there's a really big tier that as we kind of, you know, dived into tonight, um, it, it's a little hard to separate. I think we said for a couple of different guys that, you know, I, I could get behind Sacramento taking this guy at six. Um, and that's just pretty telling, of you know, the, the tier that you're reaching at this point after five. Yeah, I agree. This is definitely a top five class right now. And, uh, but it will kind of be, almost more interesting if the Kings end up leg six or later. We probably won't be as happy, but it's definitely going to be a lot more interesting in terms of what do you pri- what does Monty McNair prioritize going forward? Definitely. Yeah, it'll be pretty telling. Um, yeah, I think uh, obviously we're going to dive into those a little bit more. I am really looking forward to getting into that conversation of what a potential three-guard lineup looks like. Um, I'm thinking in the future here, you know, as as All-Star break is here now, I guess, um, we can do, you know, mid-season report cards and things like this. Going to have some Bagley conversations as well. So, yeah, definitely excited for some content I have, uh, we have planned coming up for for King's Pulse here. And definitely going to be doing more of these locker room recordings. Um, Shout out to Kaylin, Time Lord, and then Eric in here as well. Uh, for this debut of uh, KP Live Locker Room. And I definitely recommend you check out that app and uh, download it. It's it's a great place to have conversation with random basketball fans and, and join us here as well. And like I said, I know what he did at this time, but you can request to come speak um, and like a little bit of a radio show call-in sort of thing um, and, and talk to us a little bit. And I'd love to do that with listeners. Um, I know Sacramento fan base, I, I've been extremely surprised because there is some uh, a, a little bit um, I guess off the wall fan bases. Sacramento's fan base seems to be pretty well informed and intelligent when it comes to basketball. So definitely would love to have you guys on the show. Uh, stay on the lookout for some of those locker room um, 
rooms that will be going on usually post-game with some of these recordings. And uh, definitely check out all the work going on at the Kings Herald. Subscribe to the Patreon there. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Post Podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.